Marshal? Nope. Any last words? Nope. What do you want on your tombstone? Pepperoni and cheese. Time for Tombstone Pizza. Made with the good stuff. Real pepperoni, real cheese. So it's always real good. What do you want on your tombstone? Just a little taste. Nope. Hey, how's it going, Universe? Welcome to another episode of Zoobox Goes to the Movies. I'm joined again by past and future guests, Dan Prophet. What's up, Dan? Good evening, everybody out there in Zoobox land. How the hell are you? Oh, we're doing good. We're talking about Tombstone tonight. How could I not be doing good? The 1993 could have been a disaster. Somehow they pulled it out. Tombstone. Uh, Easily one of my favorite frozen pizzas. (laughs) Yeah, I was really disappointed in this movie. Zero stars. It's going to be a short review. Not one single time do these Earps ever fucking develop a pizza company. They don't even talk about pizza. It's a bunch of bullshit. This is a fake movie. No, what the hell? Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about 1993's Tombstone. It's uh, directed by George P. Cosmatos, or is it? Or uh, is it? Is it? Uh, written by Kevin Jar, stars Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, Powers Booth, Michael Bean, uh, Charlton Heston, Stephen Lang, Thomas Hayden Church, Dana Delaney, Paul McClompson. I mean, I, it would be easier for me to tell you who's not in this fucking movie. Uh, than to actually read the entire cast because it is a murderer's row. Every character, no matter how big, how small, is played by like some amazing character actor who gives like an authentically great performance. Even, uh, even, even in the smallest role, right? Yeah, everybody knocks it out of the park. And the plot synopsis logline here in IMDb says a successful lawman's plans to retire anonymously in Tombstone, Arizona, are disrupted by the kind of outlaws he was famous for eliminating. Well, that's very vague. <laughs> But uh, anyways, Tombstone. So I'm very happy that you uh, wanted to talk to me about this because this would be this deserves the profit. This deserves profit's take. Okay, deserves the respect that you're going to bring to something like Tombstone. There you go. Well, yeah, I mean, this has been uh, one of my favorite movies uh, since I was a kid, Um, and it was like a profit family movie. Mm -hmm. You know, this was one of those rated R movies that slipped past the Mormon radar because it didn't have any titties in it. And it was just gunplay, and there was a couple of F-bombs, but it was historical, and it was cool, and my dad really liked it. So it passed the Mormon mm-hmm. sniff test for R-rated movie that we were allowed to watch. And it was on cable all the damn time. Mm-hmm. So it was just uh, something that, you know, we rented on VHS from Thomas's Video Mania down the street from the Wawa. Uh, we get some subs, get some uh, VHS tapes, and, um, and then it was rerun on TV all the time. And it's just one of those movies that, you know, it, it, it's hard to, uh, uh, like, what is there that hasn't been said about all these performances? It's, it's just absolutely packed with some of the best performances that actually have ever been, in my opinion, in a film. Like, come on. Oh, it's, it's just nonstop. I mean, every single, it, it brings you such joy. Almost in a weird way, as an audience, you're just like, "Oh, dude, isn't Powers Booth awesome?" Like that's all I would think. I like say things like that to myself. Actually, that's my <laughs> first note on my notes is just in capital letters, oh "Powers fucking Booth." I wish I could show you that. I literally wrote the same thing. Yeah, uh, it just <laughs> says "Powers fucking Booth." I mean, like, it, and it totally uh, redeems uh, 
what is actually an extremely flimsy third act, which we'll get to later, mm. um, where the movie, in my opinion, now that I watched it with a critical eye, kind of totally falls apart. And I always wondered why it kind of never stood the test of time with me in terms of being like a desert island classic. I mean, it's always one of those movies that you're always going to watch when it's on TV. You're always going to quote it. But there was always something about it that didn't hold up. There was a pillar that it was missing. Yeah. And I really looked at it with a critical eye until now. But we can talk about that a little later after we uh, ride Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer's dick a little more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it had a very, uh, you know, behind the scenes, a lot of actually just kind of a classic Hollywood ego bullshit stuff going on behind the scenes, but with producers and what the vision was and who was going to direct it. And George well, P. Cosmatos is not even know about the director situation because didn't uh, didn't uh, uh, Kurt Russell actually kind of direct this? That came out that came out a couple years ago. That was more confirmed like a few years ago. So what was the director doing? Because he seems in all the interviews extremely passionate about what's going on. Well, you know, I was thought of that too, right? And then, but whenever you see George P. Cosmatos, because George P. Cosmatos basically comes in, studio guy, hired gun, comes in about three weeks into shooting. The writer, this was supposed to be his his kind of baby, and he had written this giant epic that everybody had signed on to, like a Lonesome Dove esque like epic movie that wasn't as focused on like Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday as this movie is. It was much more expansive. Like it would have been like a three-hour movie. It would have been a two-taper back in the day. It would have been a double VHS back then. Um, and he was just—I guess—I think it was the producers really just didn't like him, and uh, they were like, "Ah, you're falling behind. You're, you're fucking up. Like you're not getting the shots done. You're not doing the day's work like in a way that we needed to get done." So they have this guy come in, and then it's—and then I was like thinking about that because of all the stuff that came out with Kurt Russell being like, "No, he really directed it." When he's talking talking passionately about things, he's talking about very superficial stuff. He's like, "Yeah, I wanted to have a guy like cleaning horse shit up in the streets. Uh, I wanted to make sure the clothes looked good, which was ridiculous for him to say because he was not part of pre-production. Huh. He came in mid-shooting, <laughs> so why would like so it's that was all just bullshit. It, apparently, it was just all PR bullshit, and he got a paycheck. He was." Right. He was in he was in the in league with Sylvester Stallone and like these Hollywood guys, I guess George P. Cosmatos. He directed and Kevin Jar, the writer of Tombstone, wrote uh, wrote what uh, First Blood Part Two, which was directed by George P. Cosmatos, and I think maybe Cobra. He did work on Cobra, which George P. Cosmatos also directed. So there was some stuff going on behind the scenes as far as that stuff goes. And uh, the studio apparently didn't want to do like an epic. Like they wanted Sam Peckinpah. That's what they kept saying. We want you to make a Sam Peckinpah movie, which explains the third act kind of a little bit. But before we get ahead of ourselves and how that, all that stuff, like I completely fucked it up. But <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I think this movie is a nearly nearly perfect movie. However compromised it was, like all the way through the night the herbs get shot. Like it's kind of flawless up until that point. I like agree. That, I agree. Yeah. Like it's like the last thirty minutes where it's just like you just it becomes a bunch of montages and you know it's cool. Like there's some cool moments in there and Kurt Russell saying you know uh, you know I'm bringing hell with me you know great moment, great movie moment right big great cinematic moment but um, 
but it just kind of, like you said, just kind of falls apart narratively. And there's other problems too. I mean, it's like the romance between uh, Wyatt and Josephine is a little soap opery. Dude, okay, Josephine is one of my least favorite characters in any movie. At like, okay, like she's making me talk like a valley girl. I'm, I'm saying like, like over here a bunch. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. Uh, all the notes that I wrote about her ended with something, something, something. Right? <laughs> like, I got right. Like, I want to go to the desert and like meet a cowboy and have so much fun. And I want to act on the stage with my boyfriend. And it's just. Well, oh, she's look, the man, worst. If I was a rich Jewish girl from New York, I would think the same fucking shit, okay? <laughs> I would have the same fucking shit floating through my head. But she is the most annoying fucking character, and Wyatt is so enamored with her. And it sucks because it's, like, part of reality. This really happened between these two. Yes, it did really happen, and, like, and she she definitely influenced where the real Wyatt Earp ended up. Real Wyatt Earp, like, I guess would have been, like, 15, 20 years after the story takes place, ends up in, like, the nascent... Hollywood because yeah. a Hollywood guy. Yeah. Which is not, which is why his legend persists. And that's why you always have to wonder like, what really, what, what is, 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 do we, do we really have an accurate depiction of Wyatt Earp in any, in anything? Because he obviously was able to get in there, seed his legend in the way that he felt appropriate. Um, well, he worked, he was working with a biographer that ended up like publishing a book like a year after he died. That was basically his autobiography, but, yeah, I mean, uh, historically speaking, Wyatt Earp was a shitbag. Uh, yes, he, he was actually, a, all the Earps were. Yeah, he, they were. I mean, especially Wyatt, just a, a human piece of shit. Doc Holliday was a piece of shit. He knew that he was going to die, and his whole thing was, "I'm just going to be as big of a piece of shit to these other pieces of shit as much as I can until I die." And you know, these, none of these were actually good people. Um, they're they're. This goes back to kind of uh, the concept they're talking about in Mad Max when we were talking in that episode of, you know, the, the police are just as bad as the criminals. It's just that they have the badge to back up what they're doing. And uh, that element is is brought up a lot in this movie. In fact, to the point where um, at the end, and this happened in real life too, many of the cowboys were deputized under the other marshal. And it's yes. like, so who's actually operating under the law here? You know, well, it was a totally lawless society. It was completely lawless because, like, being deputy, like, be, having becoming a United States Marshal seemed very easy. Like, they're like, "You want to do it? Okay, here yeah. you go." And then if you're the, and then if you know Wyatt, he becomes a, he can deputize anybody he wants. It doesn't fucking matter. It's just his buddies. Um, and that's the same with with everybody back then. You know, like that's just the way it was. Like you said, like there is a sense of kind of who really is good, who really is bad, the lawlessness, like. The Cowboys, I would say the movie goes out of its way to make sure that you know that the Cowboys are the villains. Explicitly, they are like villainous in a way that is more like simple. It does kind of reduce Tombstone, the movie does reduce things down to a more kind of traditional Western trope of like good guys versus bad guys, kind of. Yes, it doesn't do anything to try to break that historical myth. No. And this, and the only thing that they do, and I think they did this to be cute, was the, uh, yeah, usually it's black hats and white hats, right? Well, in this, the good guys are wearing the black hats. The guy, the bad guys are wearing the red sashes. Like the red is their is their color. So, like you know, like the famous poster that the guys walking down the street headed to the OK Corral fight. Like they're all in black, right? You know, which is I guess that was probably I will say George P. Kosmatos. He was just like this Greek man 
the sweaty fat Greek guy is just like, wouldn't it be interesting? <laughs> they wore it, black. Say like, when they come to the OK Corral, they all look like priests, or maybe they also look like undertakers. I saw that. Yes, exactly. That was the dumb fuck like <laughs> George P. Cosmatos like commentary. I I directed uh, Cobra. Um, very good friends with uh, Sly Stallone. Hmm? But but the but the but the actors all get so into character and like we were talking about in that same documentary these guys are like bill paxton is sitting there and he's he says i mean they came down there and they threatened our lives and they wouldn't leave town we told them to leave town they wouldn't leave town and it's like bill the cameras aren't rolling anymore you know and the guy who plays uh, johnny ringo was doing the same thing yeah so they came down there and a couple of us one, one arm they started shooting at our guys and it was like wow man they got out in the desert and all these dudes totally got into character and just yeah. fucking did it for like two or three months yeah man. no because what dan's talking about is michael bean the actor giving an interview about what happened at the okay corral talking as if he was part of it like yeah. the real event like he was yeah. he was just like only two of us had guns is bullshit if, if any of you guys are out there watching this and you want to hear more about it, there's a great uh, behind the scenes of Tombstone. Yeah. And yeah, a couple of different actors slip into moments where they're speaking as though they were at the OK Corral. They're so into character on the set. And then a couple sentences later, they're saying they, them instead of we, us. And it's, it's actually kind of magical to think how deeply into character they were. Actually, I, what I would say, like one of my favorite performances of this movie, and it was one that I always liked, but I really honed in on this time. Other than like, you know, obviously Powers Booth is incredible. Uh, you know, even Kurt Russell's great in this. Billy uh, fucking Zane, dude. Billy <laughs> Zane is like on fire in this. <laughs> I mean, did you hear that? Yeah, this... Are you kidding me, bro? Yeah. That's our kind of stuff, buddy. <laughs> um, is uh, Stephen Lang, Ike. Yeah. Ike. Ike, this is an amazing performance. This is like one of my, I think he's the secret MVP. Sometimes when Dan and I review movies, we, we pick a secret MVP. One time it was James Woods in Casino. This is Stephen Lang in uh, Tombstone. I think he's the secret MVP. And he's such a fucking slimeball. And you just, like, even though you, you just want them to shoot him. Like, <laughs> you just want him to die all the time. And I just, law dog. Like, he, he's got this guy's all full of bluster. And I used to work at uh, Whole Foods. Uh, Charles Irwin, me and my buddy Kilbert used to say that all the time. We don't go for law around you, law dog. <laughs> Heard you the first time. <laughs> Yeah, he's just like, like he's so cocky because he thinks he's part of the Cowboys. So he thinks he's got like uh, the uh, the green light to treat everybody like shit. And he's such a mouthy fuck. I love when he gets into it with Sam Elliott, like that moment where he thinks uh, Doc Holliday has cheated him at cards, and and Sam Elliott gets like really mad. And I would be fucking, I would be kind of intimidated if Sam Elliott got in my face, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I would be intimidated just of the mustache, dude. Yeah, yeah. It's all must, mustache he, he, first. Ike is talking shit. He turns around and Sam Elliott's just right there and just pistol whips him. Well, as the legend goes, apparently it's kind of a rumor that uh, Stephen Lang was intoxicated for a lot of the filming. And he was still able to pull it off. He was still able to act. If that's the truth, he was still able to give a performance. I've always heard that that's kind of bullshit. Like actors don't, they don't really like to do that because you have no control. Like you know, once you're out of control, you're just not going to be able to work. You're not going to be able to do do your job. But it wouldn't be well, surprised. I would be surprised if things were a little looser on the set of Tombstone. Sometimes, if you imbibe a little, it's actually a lubricant for your talents. I I think so. My friend is what we're going to do right now. <laughs> so 
that was one of the other things is that this movie just made me want to drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes. Yes. The entire fucking time I was watching it. Yes. Actually, I, one of the times, cause even before I knew we were going to talk about it, I actually watched tombstone twice in the, in within the a span of two days. And uh, one night I was just outside. I had taken a, these new legal edibles that I could buy in the state that I, I live in. And, uh, I was just chilling I just put it on the laptop and tobacco I just sat vape. outside. Tobacco vape, by the way. Tobacco vape. Tobacco vape. <laughs> well, you're good where you are. Fuck. These fuckers down here have us eating weird Delta 8s. Omega 8s? Delta 8, yeah. It's like this uh, other THC. It works. I don't fuck it. It works. I don't know. That's all I could say. <laughs> Definitely not the this, same. This helps my tuberculosis. Yes. Yeah, because it relaxes the lungs, opens things up, opens the capillaries, you know. Um, we haven't even talked about some of the other stuff. I mean, like uh, Val Kilmer. What Do you think Val, this is like, because this is like top of Val Kilmer's like career, height of his power, right? After this, he kind of goes egomaniac. Yeah, which which if if anybody's interested, I talked about the island of Doctor Moreau, which would have been very closely after this that he made that, and yes. he literally derails that movie and destroys the production, <laughs> which is kind of fucking nuts. But yes. he did, he did. He got the fire, he got the director fired. He wouldn't show up to work. Like, he didn't want to perform. Um, but uh, this would have been coming after a couple years after the Doors, so he was like character actor, like method guy at the time. And then he gets into, and then he does Doc Holiday, and I've always really liked this one. I mean, that's it's the performance that when you're a kid, like you fucking walk around trying to do the voice and and like try to like act like Doc Holiday. He's the most superficially cool character. Yes. What do you think now as an adult? Like, what do you think now? Do you think this is still like it's still like the he's cool? Uh, okay, it's a complex thing because yes, because yes. on the surface, superficially. You, nobody can be that cool and you'd sit there and deny that they're not because you're just going to look like an incel. But, <laughs> um, I mean, w- w- what you see here is, yes, Val Kilmer is extremely cool in this role. What's not cool in this role is other people thinking that they can do the impression. It's This is a thing like the Joker. Mm-hmm. Like, the manic intensity that that particular actor captured in that particular space was so its own thing that it can get away with being over the top a little bit cheesy and yes it is totally one of those things that a 16 year old would want to run go around saying you know i'm a daisy if you do or whatever you're a daisy if you do or i'm your huckleberry oh yeah every single one of his lines is fucking quotable every one of his line readings is awesome Mm -hmm. and you know you do want to be that character because he lives so free and he is so fucking cool um but the truth is is that that particular moment was captured by Val Kilmer and, and couldn't be captured by any other person at any other time. And yeah, I think as an adult, I think that is still a really fucking cool character, but you're right. It's totally superficial. The entire movie is. Oh no. I think it's a totally superficial vehicle. That's driven by extremely charismatic people that you just want to watch. Yes, It's star power. 100%. It actually reminds me when I watched it, I was like, Oh, this is like the nineties equivalent of like, a very solid B Western that is elevated by the performances. Yes. Like, you know, that's, that's what it reminded. It reminded me of a thousand fucking Westerns I've seen in my life. And I think that was not the original intention when they went into it, but I think that's what happened 
uh, during shooting yeah. and during post-production. But and I think that's one, uh, yet another reason why the third act suffers because so much of it is not focused on the performances anymore. It's focused on tying up the ends of the story. And they, they, they take the route of going doing things in the historical order in which they happen rather than what is most cinematic. Again, we'll get to that. I want to kind of save that stuff for a little later. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I do, I think that every single person in this movie is cool as hell, but you're not cool if you try to be them. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, yeah. and again, like, and like tapping into that Joker thing, like, there are 80 million dudes on YouTube doing impressions of the Joker and they're all cringy as fuck. Yes. Why is it that, you know, that, you know, there's a certain specific type of manic energy that a character conveys that can only come across through some of someone who has the finest acting, acting chops and doc holiday in this movie is especially one of those characters. Well, it's interesting because I watched, um, cause I just, cause I knew we were talking about this this weekend. I ended up for watching Wyatt Earp, which is the Kevin Costner version of this story. Uh, Cause Kevin Costner was originally going to be part of this movie. And he had a disagreement about what the focus was. He wanted to make a movie that was like just about Wyatt Earp. And so I could, so I've seen parallel performances this week and seen how much better the tombstone cast is just like, capturing that also their natural talent and charisma just kind of being able to even though some of the performances are like capital a acting performances right i would say like michael beans is like very like he's he's maybe a little out outmatched by his co-stars actually a yeah. little bit yes. um but like uh because doc holiday so uh what's his name so val kilmer does it in tombstone and what was the guy oh my god i can't believe i'm forgetting his name uh, who plays it in in the Costner version is not nearly as memorable. Like he's trying to do the exact same thing. Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid plays Doc Holliday in the in the Costner version of Wyatt Earp, and uh, you just see, even though actually the Costner version of Wyatt Earp is way more historically accurate and way more honest about who the Earps were and what they were doing, but for some reason the movie just doesn't really work. Have you ever seen it? No. Yeah, it's like a three-hour slog. It's like, and then, and it's a vanity project for Costner. Like he's playing fucking Wyatt Earp when he's like seventeen, but he's like a fifty-year-old man. Like gets like, <laughs> like gets kind of ridiculous like that. But it was interesting as like kind of just like an ex- to see the same characters represented around the same time. Actually, they were competing productions. They were filming only a few miles from e- from each other. Uh, Tombstone got all the costumes, all the Wild West costumes, all the authentic stuff. So they had to like Wyatt Earp had to spend tons more money to get everything shipped from Europe to have them custom made and stuff. But they were like competing productions. It was kind of right. yeah. But um, I, I think that Al Kilmer is a little bit fucking nuts, and that translates through the character in such a way that. You know, I think that Val Kilmer himself probably doesn't give a fuck whether or not he lives or dies, or maybe he didn't in the '90s, and uh, that that was evident in what was on screen in Doc Holliday. This was a man who wanted to die, and knew that any day could have been his last. So mm-hmm. he just kind of fucking was as big of an asshole as he could have been, and he didn't care. And I think that you know, I haven't seen Dennis Quaid's performance of doc holiday but I, i've seen dennis quaid in a lot of shit 
and I can tell you right now that he cannot convey the zero give a fuck that Val Kilmer can convey. And that's what makes Doc Holliday such a fun character. You want to be him because he has no cares. He has no responsibilities. He can just rob a casino, hop on his horse with his uh, Hungarian mistress, and go to the next town. And he's a quicker gun than you, so fuck you. Yeah, we everybody loves a scoundrel. Like Doc Holliday in the makeup of like a friend group is that friend that's only your friend because he's part of your friend group. If right. he was if he was outside of it, you would never associate with that person. Yeah, this person's an asshole. And you know, he gets away with it because, you know, in, in the sort of Mad Max Zatuichi thing, he is fucking people who are bad people. Yes. Doc Holliday doesn't ever once take advantage of a honest, hardworking person in this movie, in this universe. He's always screwing very obvious bad people. And, uh, except maybe the guys at the beginning, he never, well, really but, but, well he's not, I don't even think he's necessarily screwing with them. I think he is just a better poker player. People are drinking, people get their tempers flared and he's just willing to shoot you. Like he'll well, just no, do I it. Think, I think from a historical perspective, Doc Holliday was a notorious cheat. And he would do it. He would do it knowing that he could be challenged on it. And if okay. you're challenged on it, then you can have a shootout with somebody. He's like these crazy fucking wild west rules. Yeah, and I love that. I, they, he called me a cheat, so I shot him. There's a scene so I, when they so legally got away with it. There's a scene where the of uh, and it has the two guys that only show up again in the last third of the movie to join like Wyatt's team. And they're like busting out of the saloon. They're like, no, this is between them. This is a fair fight. This is legal. This is legal. Yeah, they called it's a good they shoot. Called, they said that I crawfished the game. <laughs> so I shot him. Oh, okay. That, Let me just take your guns before the judge. I'll get him back in the morning. Yeah. Fucking wild times. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, the first guy that uh, Kilmer or Doc Holliday kills in the movie is Frank Stallone. Sylvester Stallone's brother. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is it's it's just fun. It's a funny piece of personal trivia for me, or and also for Paul, I suppose. When we lived in Alaska, Frank Stallone used to play at the dive bar down the street from our house like five times a year. Awesome. So I've seen Frank Stallone just solo with an acoustic guitar play music probably ten times in my life. <laughs> and one time I I went up and tried to give a shake. I was well, so drunk I tried. I was so drunk I tried to uh, give him a hug one time and then his bodyguard got in my face but he was cool though he was just like no no, that's fine man it's fine (laughs) but yeah it's a great you you went to give him a hug I totally dude I was really drunk yeah (laughs) oh oh well, I mean, all right, you're back. Hold on, we lost you for a second. I don't know, lose at least you tell. So, um, well, you know, I mean, I, I I applaud this movie for its attention to detail. Like the, the the acting is great, but also uh, little teeny things um, when they are putting on the performance. Which the the scene where they're putting on the performance in the opera house is like one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the little details is got the whiskey bottle in front of the light you know during the dance macabre scene they actually use the song dance macabre mm-hmm. by saint song which is one of my favorite little pieces of uh classical music actually saint song's music gets used a lot in movies they used it in babe they used it in blade they didn't give him any credit they just said it was part of the original score it's uh-huh. bullshit it's fucking bullshit um 
But, you know, they like that just all the attention to detail um, is very wonderful. And it does create an ambiance that makes you want to go back and watch it. It sets a wonderful stage. The actors play wonderfully on it. And then it kind of steamrolls ahead of the ending that doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, we keep poking at that, so we might as well just dissect it. There's a few things that I want to dissect. Sure, go um, for it. And not just the manic pixie dream girl of the Wild West, because I, I, she's just like, she fell in love with Wyatt Earp, and she's just such an interesting character. She's like the only character that's not interesting at all. <laughs> yeah, even Maddie, even his uh, estranged... Even his estranged lover is is a better character than Josephine. Yeah, and um, you know they're but they're all in that scene. This the scene where everything falls apart. I think that uh, we kind of both agree is the scene right as he gets shot, um, and Wyatt, you know, literally walks out into the street with blood on his hands. And he sees his mistress, Josephine, and he's like, what are you doing? Get away from me. Can't you see? Just get away. <laughs> and then he turns around, and his actual wife is there, and she's like, oh, fuck you. Like, uh, why don't you uh, go to your mistress that, you know, he just rejected. And Wyatt is left completely reduced to nothing, his brother's blood on his hands, crying in the rain. And then we go through the revenge sequence, which... I think actually could be remedied pretty easily. I have a solution here, Sean. I have a okay. way that we can fix it. Doesn't every good movie review on the internet have a way that it could have been fixed? Yes. Um, it's always so important to review have, the movie as if, like, in a unfairly. So, yes. Yeah. Because I know what it was like to make this production and call yeah. all the shots, uh, beginning to end from scratch. Um so Wyatt goes on this killing spree with Doc Holliday and the uh, cowboys that defected. Yes, please join me. I just had mine. Um, and we have the scene at the train station where we shoot the guy and he tells Ike, you know, the hell's coming with him and blah, blah, blah. And directly after this is where everything falls to shit. We have the um, montage where they're chasing down the cowboys. And then here's where everything goes wrong. They meet uh, Powers Booth and the rest of the Cowboys at the creek and have the big showdown between the two main characters, the main bad guy and the main good guy, 30 minutes, a full 30 minutes before the movie is over. Okay? Mm -hmm. So the leader of the Cowboys is killed. All right? We keep going in and out of how sick Doc is, you know? Then Doc is so sick he can't get out of bed, but then he magically shows up to kill the second in command of the cowboys only after another uh, uh montage of killing cowboys and then he's really really sick so sick that he falls off the horse and then uh you know they have a third and final montage where they have a slow motion handshake on a horse uh of chasing down cowboys yet again yeah and then Doc is in the hospital so we have you know everything uh, thematically is all mixed up. I think it could have worked just like this. And you wouldn't have had to do anything except just leave Val Kilmer out of some certain shots. You have the scene at the train station. You have the montages of killing cowboys. Then Doc gets sick, okay? He says to Wyatt, I'll go and deal with Ringo, okay? Because I know that I'm going to die. You mm -hmm. have that scene in the woods with Ringo and Doc first, 
then Doc gets really sick and is out of the fight. Okay, he's in bed. Yeah. Then you have another scene, uh, another montage of killing cowboys. Maybe Doc tries to stay with them, but he can't keep up with them. Then we have the scene at the the creek, which is the actual climax of the film, where we have the leader of the cowboys and the leader of the law face off against one another. And maybe it's not so... I mean, that's a poorly filmed scene with the no and all that stuff. And, you know, maybe we could have filmed that a little differently. Yeah. With some climactic music. And we make it a big moment for Wyatt because apparently that's a real thing that happened. He waded out into the water while everybody was shooting at him and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That, that right there is the actual climax of the film. And then when that's over, Wyatt triumphantly goes back to Doc in bed and gives him the book and tries to, you know, play cards with him one last time. But Doc won't have it. And I think that would have made a much smoother narrative. You could have still gotten away with a third act that was mostly action, but it would have played, it would have paced a lot differently. It's just so choppy the way that things are. Yeah, it feels very, like you said, it's almost like you could rearrange some of these scenes and it doesn't actually change like the way, like uh, the the through line of what is happening. But I think it, there's an arrangement there that I think, like you said, I agree with you. I think that is a much... It would have been because it because one of the problems with the end of the movie is it literally kind of takes Wyatt out of the fucking like you said like he kills he kills Curly Curly Bill like way before which I guess is his kind of his nemesis whereas you have like you know Doc Holliday's nemesis is Ringo like it never, doesn't really make much sense to have well I mean. I don't know. Well, they did it that way because that's the way, that's the order that it happened in in real life. And actually, nobody knows who killed Ringo in real life. We don't know that it was actually Doc Holliday. In fact, well, they said, they said they think it's a suicide because he was a very conflicted man. And this is something that I know the actors got into. And I know that the original script had a lot more Ringo about him being, he's very conflicted. He was from a very religious family. That's like why in the beginning of the movie, when he shoots the priest, it's supposed to be like a big moment. They just don't. But they never provide the context, really, other than that you kind of learn that he's educated and he knows Bible quotes. That's really yeah, kind of yeah. all you get get from Ringo, but uh, and, to and, make him a foil for Doc Holliday. But right, and if we're going to use his mysterious death as a way to make a climax for Doc, why would you make that the climax of the movie when it's why it's movie? Yeah, all you really have to do is switch that creek scene and the woods scene, and provide a little different context in between. And I think if you have a much smoother third act that can get away with mostly being montages and action, because it is only a half hour, and the best parts of the movie are already done by that point, you just got to tie it up, you yeah. know. And uh, you know, they use a lot of uh, beginning and end narration, which you know is what it is. Yeah. It's a historical movie, so I can understand more why they do it because these people actually did have lives after the the movie. Yeah, because um, it starts with that Robert, Robert Mitchum, the actor Robert Mitchum is the one who does the narration, and they, it starts with like a mini Ken Burns doc to kind of set things up. I, I thought it was appropriate in the beginning, like the way it opens by having that narration, having like this little this little mini documentary for that goes on for like four minutes about like, you know, the nature of the West. Where are we at? What's the context of this? Like, what? Where's the world right now? I was like, that's okay. And I even like the opening with the cowboys because I think it establishes them as a threat. It establishes kind of the nature of life out there and what our heroes are going to have to face. Because it's much more just like archetypal heroes, villain stuff. Like that tombstone is dealing with it. It doesn't really want to get into the kind of the nebulous gray areas very much. 
Like it pays lip service to stuff. But having it at the end though felt like very weird. And actually I hate the last moments of this movie. Yeah. I actually hate them. It feels like it's from a different fucking movie. And this is another thing with this George P, this sweaty fucking Greek dude. He's like, uh, yeah, I wanted to end it in the snow because it's different than the desert. And we, we do things different. It's different. It's white. It's cold. Uh, the desert is dusty. It's hot. Like, that's literally something this fucker said. <laughs> that's why he wanted to end it in the snow. But And, yeah, you know, it, it could have just as easily ended with Wyatt walking out of the hospital and Doc dying. Yes, because that's the point of, the, like, even this version of the movie where they, they streamline things, they kind of put the focus on Wyatt and Doc Holliday and their friendship, right? Like, that's the, that's the logical conclusion is to actually end, like, with their conclusion, with their, with their story. You can you know, even you can even have the narration that says that he met Josephine and they were together for forty years. Or have or, have her in a carriage waiting outside the fucking hospital and they go away. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. You just ended the movie perfectly. Dude. And actually, don't ever cut into the carriage. It should be like a there's a the famous shot from the John Ford's The Searchers where it's like John Wayne saves the day. He's he's reunited this family. Everybody's really happy. He stands in the doorway in silhouette and then just saunters off into the desert because he can never be part of like their lives. And uh, they should have just done something like that. Like just do a callback to a, a classic Western moment of just Wyatt leaving the hospital in silhouette, a doorway. You see Josephine in like a carriage waiting for him. He gets in, gives Josephine a kiss, carriage pulls out, fake cut to black. Directed yeah, by exactly. George P. Cosmatos. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the, the shot of the snow because it's cold. Dude, I, I mean, you're right. I mean, that whole... I, I didn't even want to be that hard. I didn't even want to be that hard on this movie, but that whole fucking sequence is just bunk. Listen, the I, 90 minutes of this movie are n- near perfect. Even no matter how it came together, no matter the circumstances, I love it. Like, I love every moment of it. Yes. Even the bad, you actually will not. I, the Josephine stuff I, is awful. Like the meat cute up in the up in the mountains, they're riding the horses, and then they end up in like a, a valley, or not a valley, but like this little wooded area full of flowers. They're like that must be that. That's the cosmetos touch, you know. I mean, I, 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 there's a way. I just maybe it was the way the actress portrayed the the character because there is something about the tension of why it being tempted. And there's something charming about Doc knowing that knowing, he's going to yeah, attempt knowing to that he's, better than he knows himself. And and that whole scene uh, where you know Doc is setting him up to say, uh, are you a man that forsakes all others and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Doc already knows that that woman's about ready to walk into that place. You know what I mean? And he's just oh, yeah. set quiet up. And no, I, I even love such a like, pro moment. You know? I, and I love like Russell's uh, reaction. When she comes into the bar, he's like, "Oh hell!" Like he just gives like the perfect Kurt Russell like movie star cowboy line, and that whole uh, exchange with them when he says, uh, "You know, they're at the theater and they're watching," and he says, "But who is the devil?" And she pulls the mask off, and uh, he says, "Well, I'll be damned." Now, that's a great interplay yeah. already. But then Doc says, "Ah, well, if you're lucky, you may be or whatever." Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of. Uh, there aren't just one-liners in this movie. There are like two and three-liners, you know. And I think it, I, I think I think you might be right, though. I think part of it is uh, well, it's Dana Delaney. I think part of it is her performance. She is another kind of she's a weak link. Yeah, 
I mean, even like I said, even Maddie, like his 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 opium addicted wife, it gives a pretty good performance. Like she gives a pretty solid performance. But I think it's a combination of the performance and also just the nature of the character because she's, you know, if you, like she is, she's kind of a homewrecker. Like she's kind of an asshole. Like. And she, she does. you know, she's an unlikable person. She has okay, okay. We're gonna dig a little deeper into Josephine, okay? Because this fucking manic pixie dream girl of the Wild West, um, you know, uh, oh my god, my actor boyfriend Billy Zane is dead. Like this isn't so fun anymore, or something, right? Like, <laughs> come on. Well, like, dude, every, even when she's she, such a fucking game to her until somebody yes. tries to steal her watch and somebody gets shot. Like I exactly until it personally affects her. She's in like just the scene. Where Ringo and uh, which is an amazing scene, Ringo and and uh, Doc Holliday are having kind of like this uh, this when they first meet in the bar and they're playing cards and he's doing the gun tricks and stuff, like and there's a lot of tension. You think somebody somebody could get shot, and like Josephine is in the background, like oh, somebody gonna kill somebody? Oh my god! Like how like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's just a rich girl from New York, and all this is just some kind of, you know, uh, the the world is a stage to her, and all these people are just actors, but until there are actually consequences for her, it doesn't fucking matter. And that's why I find her to be such an obnoxious character. Oh, yeah, you know? especially because she's seen everything that she's seen, and then when you have that moment, the culminating moment where Billy Zane, poor, beautiful Billy Zane, gets shot down uh, for trying to protect her honor... Suddenly, she's taking it seriously. You're just like, have you not like been around? You've been around while all this shit is happening. Like you've seen all this awful thing, all this awful shit, and now it, it clicks with you that these oh maybe these cowboys are maybe they really are bad. Maybe they really are a threat. Right? Maybe there are actually consequences to life. Maybe there's more to life than just room service. But oh it's like God. if you have rich parents back in New York that are constantly putting money in the bank account then there is nothing to life but room service. And by the way, Maddie, Maddie, I love you, girl. But when Wyatt came into the hotel room and was like, come on, don't you want to just travel around and get room service the rest of our life? I would have been like, yeah, let me get 10 bottles of laudanum and we'll go wherever the fuck you want, Wyatt. <laughs> just keep it coming, buddy. Just keep Wait, it coming. Get to lay in bed and eat lasagna for the rest of my life? Are you fucking kidding me? Yes. I'll be in bed wherever we go. It reminded me of growing up, and it's like, uh, you know, you like, you know, just being with different flighty women and stuff like that, and then you start talking about what you want to do with your future. I want to travel. I like to travel. Everybody wants to fucking. Every single girl I've ever had like sweet talk in the bed with, at some point said, "I just want to travel. You know, I just want to get out there. I just want to like, I'm I'm saving money. I'm over the next couple years. I'm a waitress right now. Over the next couple years, I'm saving my tips. I'm gonna travel to Europe." I mean, nobody ever because, does. Because you know what, Sean? Somewhere out there in that big, wide world is who she is. <laughs> it's who she is. And she's going to find it, bro. She just has to suck off like 27 guys in Europe. I mean, that's a small price to pay for eternal happiness, Dan. I mean, if your soul can be at peace. I don't you know care what? how much cum I have to taste to find out who I am. I'm going to find out, Okay. <laughs> This is and the that's work, fucking Josephine, right there. <laughs> Actually, kind of, yeah. And th- there's a very like, especially back in the West, and it's not exclusive to this movie. There's like a very liberal sense of like sex politics. In a way, they're just like, yeah, because even Wyatt Earp's 
wife, Maddie, if you go back and look, and this is actually the Costner version is way more harsh about this. She was a prostitute. He was a pimp. Yeah. And that's what she I said that for Caitlin. She was like, what? I was like, yeah, Wyatt used to pimp his wife because it was the Wild West and that's how shit was. Well, it was before they were like together together and then he would sleep with her and then she would like built up like a an affinity for him and kind of just latched onto him. They actually were never officially married. She Got just it. she just started using his last name. The rea- the real story is even crazier though. Wyatt like Josephine comes into the picture much earlier and Wyatt is is traveling with his wife and Josephine and his brothers at the same time. So Maddie is aware that like she's traveling with <laughs> with Wyatt's mistress. Like that's wow. what real that's what really happened. And then Maddie goes fucking crazy and he ditches her in Tombstone. Yeah, and then she overdosed on Laudam in real life. Yeah, no, that's what happens. But she just she, like at some point, like after all the stuff at the OK Corral happens, and then after his brothers get shot, uh, after, after Morgan dies, she's just like, uh, he's like, we got to go. Like, if you want to go, you got to come. She's like, fuck you. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to drink myself to death. And he's like, OK, see ya. Right. That's the real story. And then he goes to have a wonderful, beautiful life with Josephine. Where he becomes kind of a Hollywood dude. He becomes very well. Wyatt Earp became very successful. He was very wealthy. Uh, he they did live the life. They got to have that room service life, Dan. That witch was right. Hey man, you know what? I mean, if I wanted to be a genetic fucking dead end, I'd do the same goddamn thing. Oh yeah. I've had like I've had moments recently, especially. Like it was like a couple weeks ago. My wife and I had like a Saturday night out to ourselves. We like hung out. We went out to dinner. We had some drinks. We stayed up too late. We had a lot of fun. And then the next morning, uh, and my son wasn't here. My my mom was my mom was babysitting for us. And then the next morning, we woke up and we're just sitting on the couch. And I'm just like eating a taco or something and like watching it. And I put on a movie. I'm like, every Sunday used to be like this. (laughs) (laughs) I had that that one. I was like, hmm, hmm, but not really. But like I, I had that moment where I was just like, "Oh fuck, this used to just be normal life." Like now, it's like it's actually so much better that it's a treat now. But it definitely was. It made me chuckle a little bit. I was like, "Holy shit!" Imagine me playing a video game at ten o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think back to my life in my twenties or my life out in Santa Fe, and it was quite. You know, I definitely. Uh, sopped up the bachelor existence like a sponge and yeah i wish i could dip my toe back into that every once in a while but um all you want the reasons that i stopped is that i came to the realization that if i died no one would find my corpse for several weeks and it would probably be one of my co-workers so um you know that kind of lifestyle uh it's fun yeah you know but the, and the other thing you find is when you're out there searching for yourself is that um it's not out there. <laughs> like it's not like you, like you, your soul, your person, your, your, uh, um, self actualization is not like in some cafe somewhere that you stumble <laughs> into, you know, it comes through the forge of life's hardships, but yes. you didn't have any. So you like, you have to go to Europe on a walkabout and like, I got to suck off 27 guys to find out who I am. <laughs> I think I'm going to be an actress today. I think I'm going to be a fucking be a actress. Model. I have 27,000 followers on Instagram, you fucking loser. And you tried to swipe me on Tinder. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, 
I, I I totally agree with you. Yeah, I was like, you know, I, I I like just in thinking about that and like thinking about like what it what it must have been like to live at the time that these guys were <laughs> sad face. I think the time that these guys were alive and like people not having that that luxury, like somebody like Josephine is juxtaposed so hard by the lives of the vast majority of people. Like yeah. people, you don't get to have like the sense of like flightiness and freedom and trying to like you have to find happiness within your own the confines of your actual existence in life and 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 like and that's that's okay it's like a good life lesson it's like you said it's really not out there like it's it's in here guys it's in here yeah all along after about fifteen thousand hours of hard work and cleaning out fucking trash cans (laughs) and getting (laughs) shitty tips and dealing with the general public and that's how you learn about yourself, you fucking bitch. Actually, yes. Uh, ever work, if you work in the service industry, you ever want to feel like a fucking foot? You ever want to feel like really like a piece of shit? Have some fucking mongoloid with an IQ of 45 yell at you because you, their burger is not correct. Hey, yeah. you know what? <laughs> Cheers to that. I'm going to pour <laughs> another one to that. You know, I decided to get Wild Turkey 101. Hell yeah. Uh, apparently, since... Um, since COVID, you can't get 151 anymore, so I can't drink like a fucking man anymore. <laughs> now I'm stuck with this pussy juice. I call I call it pussy juice. That's what I call it. Because I just made 151 my baseline drink. Um, it I love blowing people's fucking pants off with it. That's <laughs> you come to my house. You're gonna take a shot with me, and uh, of course you're gonna say, "Yeah, sure, I'll take a shot." Yeah. And then I pour 151, and it pours a fucking ring through the bottom of the glass you have to drink it before the fucking glass melts all of a sudden you're not so fucking tough anymore are you but i can't find it since the fucking pandemic they turned it on to hand sanitizer that gives you cancer (laughs) i feel like it's bottled in bond if it's bottled in bond it's got to be 100 proof or more so that means it's safe to drink that's true I think I feel like you know, Dan. I feel like you would have. I think you would have made it in the West. I think you would have oh, made it. You know what? I think you're right because what we have here is uh, a bloody and muddy single action cult copy. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit, and I'm going to pull this out a little more because I'm gonna yeah. Go ahead. That's not actually loaded, by the way. The bullets are right here. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the gunplay in this movie because that is so goddamn bothersome, okay? (laughs) As a kid, I didn't know any better. But now that I do, I cannot watch a single scene of this movie without absolutely wincing at what's going on with the guns. So did you know that every gun in this movie has unlimited ammo capacity? Well, yeah. that's. I mean, especially for the Cowboys, they have have the red bandana. If you get the red bandana... You get so they they typed in the, um, I believe it's uh, R B R L L B up, down, left, right, up, down, left, right, and you get unlimited ammo at the shootout at the OK Corral. <laughs> um, this right here is a 357, and this is, oh, this is my 38 special. This is a plus P, so it packs a little extra, a little extra. Okay. Okay. So all all the characters in this movie are carrying a single-action Colt revolver, okay? 
And this is a gun design that came out, I believe, in 1883. The design of this gun hasn't changed in almost 150 years or yeah. how long it's been. Um, this is a Ruger model. This is called the Black Hawk. This is what I use to shoot hogs. Um, it's a six-shooter. Uh, it's got a six-and-a-half-inch barrel, but all the guys in the movie and in real life, I guess, carried 10-inch barrels, which would have given a lot more accuracy and a lot more power coming out of the end of the gun. Um, the thing is, is that even if even if you were carrying a six-shooter in the West, you were carrying five bullets in it because this back here, okay, this mm -hmm. isn't loaded, so I can do this. There's a little pin back here that keeps that from firing if it's just sitting in my holster in my pocket. Okay? So that wasn't actually on the original model of these guns. So if you had it in your holster, even if the cock, even if the uh, hammer was a cock back like that is now, uh, which it, this is actually a totally loaded gun, and I could totally fire that accidentally right now. I'm just joking. I know. Um, even if that wasn't the case, um, if your gun was fully loaded, that hammer could accidentally slip and hit the primer on your bullet, which would then just fucking shoot you in the leg. Yeah. So most cowboys would actually only carry five guns in their six-shooter. And it's actually said, and I don't know if this is true, but this is part of cowboy legend, that they would carry a, uh, like a, a $20 bill in the uh, cylinder, in the sixth cylinder, to pay for their coffin should they ever get shot down. <laughs> but so what you have here is, okay, so Doc Holliday rolls up to the OK Corral with two six-shooters, two Colt 45s, um, and a double-barrel shotgun. So Doc Holliday is rolling up to the OK Corral with 10 shots. Max, yeah. Val well, Kilmer in this scene. Oh, oh sorry, 12. 12, he's, rolling 12, up 12. Yeah. he's rolling up with 12. Val Kilmer in this scene takes like thirty six fucking shots and doesn't reload. Yeah, once. I will. I will totally because because and they're also shooting like you did when you were a kid, pretending to shoot each other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which is great, you know. And if they were wanted to do that, that's fine. But actually, show them putting more bullets in the gun. You know, they could maybe actually make that a moment of tension where one of them tries to shoot another. They could have done it. This is the death of Daisy. If you do moment, you know what I mean. He, He's Doc Holliday, and he slightly, he slickly slides that fucking bullet in the gun and fucking takes the dude out or whatever. I'm just saying, as an adult, I am much more bothered by the gun mechanics in this movie than by Val Kilmer overacting. As Doc <laughs> I still think that he's really cool. But no, I, I think, think he's great. Yeah. I think he's not cool when he's shooting more bullets than he physically come out of that fucking gun. And, and it's, it's not just that scene. It's every scene in the movie is like unlimited ammo. And uh, yeah. I, I know it's a Western, it's an action movie, yada, yada. But I did want to talk a little bit about the guns. No, but you're, but you're right. And it's like a missed opportunity in the movie because reloading, like you said, is a moment of tension. Like the, 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 if you have to, if you factor that into your, your shootout, that's like a big deal. It would be a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and the shootout, the OK Corral lasted 29 seconds. I think in the movie, it lasts for like a minute and a half or more. Yeah, or maybe two minutes because you had to build more tension. But like, if you think about it, twenty nine seconds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, that's only, about enough, only that's about enough time to empty a couple of fucking six shooters. Only two of the cowboys actually had guns, 
and then it was the herbs because this is like a big historical point of contention is whether who started what and who instigated who's the aggressor but yeah it would have been over very quickly only two of the cowboys had guns um and and, and then the herbs were fully loaded so they would have put that down pretty quick yeah and i i, I wanted to use it as an opportunity to bring up that cool little fact about you know if you had a single shooter uh uh wheel gun in the west you weren't going to carry it fully loaded because you would just shoot yourself and they they would uh or, or you know cowboy legend states that they would no, carry I, enough money to bury themselves in the sixth chamber i have heard that as well and i there is there's something else i don't know if it was a documentary i was watching because i was just i've been just kind of watching western stuff like just documentaries and whatnot and uh i do know that is true like the thing about them not not fully loading their gun and having one empty chamber as it's holstered is is true like that is exactly that's exactly what and for the reasons you stated that's exactly why they did that so they wouldn't actually have six shots in a gun and uh i i I wanted to say um that to uh, any federal agents that are documenting me right now you know that i own this um i purchased the holster in a uh a uh trade uh Secondhand store in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I did pass my background check for that, so you know that I own it, and uh, it, it has take. I, I I put in a background check for um, a postal carrier job about two months ago, and it hasn't come back. So I think that they found out that I donated like twenty bucks to uh, the Right Stuff Radio in like two thousand sixteen, and uh, that it am never going to get that job. Listen, so it, uh, <laughs> it could be you know it could it could be Zubox. We're the, the CIA's second favorite podcast, right behind uh, Barack Obama and the Boss. So I just wanted to say because now that I now that I've tried to pass a federal background check and, and it's been churning for the last two months and I am not I'm absolutely sure I'm going to pass it. I just want to say to the federal agents that I'm absolutely sure that are monitoring me right now. Yes. I, you know that I own that gun legally. Don't fuck with me, motherfuckers. You know, <laughs> listen guys. I mean, have you heard what he said about tombstone? This is a smart person. Okay. This is not somebody to be trifled with. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> But, uh, He's trustworthy. Did you not I, I, hear I, I, how he reconstructed the last third of Tombstone and made it make more sense? Yeah, come, come on. on. I just did that. I did that on the fly as I watched it last night. But I, I do want to say that as far as firearms go, the Colt single action, oh my God, is one of the most beautiful machines that mankind has ever fucking created. Dude, the design of that gun hasn't been updated except for the... Uh, new model Blackhawk and a couple of other ones that are a little more modern. It hasn't been updated for like 150 fucking years, dude. It's a perfect machine. Yeah. It's like AK-47. It just doesn't need to be modified. It's yeah, fucking it, the way it it's, works. Exactly. It's beautiful. It's elegant. It's simple. It doesn't It doesn't require all these bells and whistles and uh, modern accoutrements. It just, like, when something works, it works. And that's why I bought this. This was my first firearm purchase. Um, uh, I didn't actually buy it. To specifically to be a slaughter gun. It just ended up being my work gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought it because it was my first firearm, so I wanted to buy one that wasn't easy to shoot. Easy to shoot. So I couldn't just like mag dump. It's very yeah. hard to mag dump a single action. You actually have to do that cowboy bow, 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 bow. Thing. Yeah. And I wanted a gun that was super accurate and that would fire um, uh, uh, readily available ammunition, which doesn't exist anymore in any caliber. Um, but this bad boy does 357, 38, and it also has a cylinder that will shoot nine millimeter, uh, which in theory, I think you'd also put 380 auto down the barrel on this too. I think if you were in a 
apocalypse situation, but I wouldn't do it unless I had to. So mm -hmm. I wanted a gun that was um, uh, easy to aim, hard to fire, and had uh, plentiful ammo sources. So I settled on this, and my dad worked for Ruger at the time, so I got a sweet discount on it. Oh, but right I have on. to say that you know, I used the same gun that the characters in this movie use every day. I used it yesterday to shoot a hog to the face. Um, it is a beautiful, elegant weapon. Yeah. And it is so cool to see it in action. Um, but I just wanted to take a moment to speak specifically about that weapon because it's used on screen in this movie in almost every scene. And I wanted to say, you know, to this day, I use it as a piece of my work kit. It's such a utilitarian, beautiful piece of machinery. I just yeah. have to give a shout out to the Colt single action as just one of the best pieces of kit ever made for a lot of different jobs. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. Actually, it's one of the things because, um, as as weird it is as it is, like this is the first time in my life I've never had a firearm in my house. I don't actually have a firearm right now, and uh, I was I was looking at stuff to get. Although, like, I probably that's probably a little impractical for the needs of this household, but just for protection stuff. But it would be cool, though. I would feel very cool having it. Yeah, I mean, if I weren't if uh, if I weren't so thoroughly cucked, or I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Damn it! God damn it! I <laughs> fucked up. I'm so glad that we're an hour and twenty minutes in, and only the true believers will be with us. At this point. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to salvage it. Actually, um, you, you and I, are these episodes have very high retention rate. So you know, it is a. Uh, you would think it's an impractical gun, um, and it is. It it and it, uh, that's kind of the reason that I bought it at first was because I wanted to teach myself to shoot without. Having the ability to uh, to mag dump, and um, no, I wouldn't look at it as a self defense weapon for the modern age. Uh, it's very unwieldy. I keep it in this ammo belt, um, not just because it looks cool, but also because um, it's easy for me to keep knives in various points in this belt. So I I walk out into the field with this belt with a little extra ammo in it and uh, a sharp knife and a steel. And it's very pra it's actually very practical for what I'm doing. But as oh, for of course, yeah, for being a butcher. As for a self-defense weapon in 2021, it's definitely not. But it was a great weapon to learn to shoot on as well. For sure, for sure. But I know that you get a little fucking juiced when you strap that thing on like a, like a little kid, though, don't you? <laughs> a little bit. And I do. It, it does feel a little bit like I'm playing Wild West because I strap it on and I, I, I sharpen my knife and I put the knife in. And I walk around, and sometimes I'm even in like my black butcher coat with apron, and I do look like a bit like a priest, or maybe even an executioner. Executioner, yes. Okay. So <laughs> may I walk to the pig, and then I are shoot they the are they here? Are they here for justice? Or are they here for death? I, you know, I we deal with she these things in the movie too. Or is here to shoot the pig in the face just for his own personal pleasure? <laughs> I think we're doing. We sound more like Guillermo del Toro. So <laughs> Uh, Guillermo del Toro is the guy, you know, the Mexican dude. He directed oh, no, like Blade. I, del Toro. I wish yeah. that he had actually directed the fucking Hobbit. Yes, actually, yes. Um, no, I but, can just, yeah, I can vision it now. I see, I can, I see it. It's like five thirty. The sun's coming up over the mountain a little bit. I see Caitlin getting the baby up, pouring coffee. You take your last sip, and I see you strapping it on, and I. See, <laughs> I see the, the idyllic moment. You're already living like the Western existence. Like you're already in the Wild West. It's 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 uh, it's very practical because after you shoot the animal, you have the holster right there to throw the gun back in. And actually, yes, yeah. there's, there's a um, 
I don't know if you can see. There's a kind of clip yeah. right here that my not I, a knife or two can slide very easily down in that. And I actually have a carabiner on the, one of the ammo parts of the belt that can hold um, my butcher um, knives. And then one of my steels can actually slide right through the. The thing about this particular ammo belt is this is a 357, but these um, uh, loops back here are for 45. So my 357 rounds just slide through these loops, but they actually do hold my steel. So I can walk out into the field with that. You know, it is a crazy cowboy uh, contraption that I got in Albuquerque, yeah. Mexico. And actually, the 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 gun itself was uh, built in the Ruger factory that my dad worked at in Newport, New Hampshire. So it's a, oh wow, it's a New Hampshire built gun, an Albuquerque gun belt. And, uh, yeah, I walk out into the middle of the field with that thing, and I feel like my dick is about 16 feet long. <laughs> and I walk up to that thing, and I say, listen up, buddy. I'm going to turn you into some fucking bacon right now. I hope none of my clients are watching this. <laughs> what are you talking about? I bet you, like, 50%. No, I'm just kidding. 20% of the year is the, is the aesthetic. They're like, dude, got to get Butcher Pete. Comes out of the fucking cowboy gun. Fucking wild. <laughs> It turned out to be way more practical than uh, no, exactly, yeah, especially right. because of the long barrel. But um, I, I gotta say, man, I, oh, man, it, it's uh, fucking cold single action. It's just one of my favorite things that human beings have ever created, and it's all over the screen in this movie. And we're getting a little far afield of Tombstone, but I wanted to talk about that little fucking gun for a little bit. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, and it's a shame that they don't they don't, they don't use them a little bit more. Uh, I guess realistically but it's like it's a hollywood western so you can't yeah, you, 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 you buy that when you buy the ticket yeah yeah for sure for sure uh do you what, like what's still do you have like a favorite moment of the movie something that like just like whenever you watch it you're just like fuck yeah like that's awesome um the 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 entire night scene where doc is drunk off of his ass and from the moment where he talks shit to johnny to the part where he flips the cup and he does yes. the part where he responds by flipping the cup. That's awesome. one of the best fuck yous in, yes. in the history of fuck yous. Yeah. Okay. Because not only does it, not only does it say fuck you, but it breaks the tension of the situation with humor. And that's yeah. the true mark of like doc's alphaness in the situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Directly after that, he comes out and spews some of the best one-liners. In fact, the best one-liner of all time. The best one-liner of all time. When he says, man, you're so drunk, you're seeing double. And he flips his guns and goes, I got two guns. And he flips them and goes, one, one for each. Yeah. I mean, dude, that is just one of the coolest fucking little moments in the history of cinema. And I don't care if I have to revert to being a 16-year-old boy in my brain and heart. To think of that's cool. That's just fucking cool. That's the epitome of cool. No, but that's, Val, it, Kilmer, Val Kilmer nailed the shit. Because it's a perfect movie performance. Like nobody here, I would say, is trying to go for like, or or at least in the way it was, the film was constructed, like in post. They're not. These are not like all. All not everybody is like trying to give like an authentic performance, right? I think Kilmer is like giving, he knows that he's giving like a very cinematic, very yes. big, very broad performance. Acting with a capital A, like you said. Yeah. I think uh, the one person who I think actually like gives probably the most naturalistic performance and is amazing is Powers Booth. Powers Booth 
Every scene with Powers Booth, RIP, by the way, he died a couple yes, years ago. Yes. Uh, because Powers Booth has always been a favorite of mine, like in terms of character acts. Whenever I see Powers Booth in a movie, I always get stoked. Dude. But like, but in this particularly, he is amazing. Yes. I mean, one of my favorite moments, he's like, uh, he's like, he's like, even I'm worried about what's going to happen when once Ringo starts running this outfit, outfit God Almighty. Yeah, yeah. Like, just, just like every delivery is perfect. It's so and, pitch perfect. I mean, one of the memes, Powers Booth has survived in 2021 as a meme. That 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 one little clip where he just goes, "Well, bye." Yeah, I mean that's a that's a gift to this day. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, people true. use that to own people on message boards to this day. <laughs> and and Powers Booth is such a he cuts such a figure. Caitlin, uh, she's not a movie person. So mm-hmm. when she's watching a movie, sometimes things happen so quickly for her that she has a hard time even differentiating which character is who. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Famously, when we watched Tropic Thunder, she kept getting Robert Downey Jr. confused with the real black guy, which is easy to do in that movie. But but Caitlin, you know, that's the way she watches movies. She 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 doesn't really dig deep into them. You know what I mean? Powers Booth cuts such a powerful figure. When we watched Deadwood, she, he she was so creeped out by Cy Tolliver. Okay, yeah. we we watched Deadwood like a year and a half ago. Maybe Actually, dude, that's so fucking weird. Like my wife and I did the same exact thing. <laughs> when we put on Tombstone last night, because I I watched I watched it like three times this week, but last night I said I'm going to watch it one more time. Do you want to watch it with me? And she watched you know the first two thirds of it with me until we got to the third act, and she said this is really fucking slap shot. And I can't follow it anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but as soon as Powers Booth she went on screen, I said, "Yeah, that's the guy from Tombstone, or that's the guy from Deadwood." I, I forget his character name in Deadwood. And she went, "Sigh." She remembered. Yeah. And 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 if 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 a guy like Powers Booth can cut such a creepy, powerful image that he burned his name into Caitlin's mind. That's not the way she watches movies. She doesn't yeah. remember movies like that. You know what I mean? That just goes to show you how fucking powerful of a performer Powers Booth is or was. And, you know, really super underrated character actor. I want to see more of the shit that he's ever done. Yeah, unfortunately, like, he didn't get a chance to shine all that much, unfortunately. Um, it's a real bummer. Like he, But every time he was in something, even just like in little bit parts, it was always cool to see him. Uh, he's a Texas boy. Apparently he's very good friends with Bill Paxton. He's uh, actually in Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton's, I think, his only movie that he directed. Uh, Frailty. You ever see Frailty with Matthew McConaughey, Bill yeah. Paxton, Powers Booth? Oh, you might like it. It's actually it's kind of like a creepy thriller. It's about a guy that doesn't know whether or not his intuition about killing demons that look like people is real or in his mind, and it's like it's a delusional thing that he like adopted from his father. It's, very, it's, it's worth checking out. And it, I don't know if you have Amazon Prime, but it's on there actually right now. I used but, to, but I don't anymore. Um, but yeah, but he was so like they were, you know, that's he's, he's kind of a good old boy. He's kind of like, and you get that sense of him too, even like when you watch the, the behind the scenes stuff uh, on Tombstone. Like he seems like such a normal dude, like such a, like a nice, like a regular guy. And uh, and he brings, but he brings that to this, this performance. There's like this mischievousness to him. There's this like this really. He you know he's a fucking bastard. 
but you can't help but kind of like him. And he's like mischievous and he's playful. Even the scene when he's like high as fuck on opium and he's shooting his gun at the moon. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't help. And, and then everything that follows after that, like you can't help but kind of just like be completely like engaged and enraptured by like his performance and his like his physicality, his presence. Yeah. And, and, and apparently that's much in character uh, to to who he was playing historically because uh, what, what was that character's name again? I'm sorry. I keep. It's like I, I see Powers Booth on the screen. I just call him Powers Booth. It's actually me too. Yeah, it's uh, Curly Bill Brocious. Curly, Curly Bill. Yeah. Bill yeah. Uh, apparently, Curly Bill was a very uh, affectatious person who was well liked and easy to get along with when he wasn't shooting his gun in the air. And like that scene where he, you know, he wins five hundred bucks in one hand against Wyatt Earp. And then immediately turns around and tosses it in the air and buys drinks for everybody at the bar. Apparently, he was well known for doing that kind of shit. He would walk yeah. into the bar and just buy everybody drinks because he had the money. And uh, you know, when you ha- you know the char- Wild West is is full of characters like that that are so morally ambiguous because you know when when human beings are placed in a lawless situation, moral ambiguity is the we kind of thrive in that space. Yeah. Now, human beings aren't just good or bad. And you had people like Curly Bill, who was more bad than good, and people like Wyatt Earp, that was more good than bad, or at least history says. And and and, and the Wild West, everybody had to be a little bit of both, because otherwise the place would just chew you up and spit you or out. Or otherwise you would die. I mean, th- this is the thing. Like, life had such a casual sense to it, right? Like, people were just like, no, you, you fucking die. Like, oh, you got to fight with somebody at a bar? You're gonna get. You probably gonna get shot, like, and that was a well, did normal. Did you crawfish him or not, son? <laughs> did you wrong this man, sir? Did you wrong this man? But like, it was kind of commonplace. It was common occurrence, and it's kind of wild to think about that, like about like the, the way men settling their differences was literally to go out and shoot each other. Like that's right. fucking wild. That's and that's not. We're not even that far away from. It. We're a hundred years, hundred and thirty years removed from it. Yeah. Well, that uh, stuff was. We, we, we are in the Western world. In some places in the world, it's still the exact same well, way. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah. In the Western world, we've moved past it. Don't worry. We'll get back there. We'll get back we there. We'll get back to the very, very shortly. Yeah, very shortly. Give us about 10 years. May, hopefully, I cross my fingers. They say 100 years. If you're an years. Uber driver, we're already there. Hey, man, listen. They tried to just tase them, they tried to do the, the right thing. They weren't trying to kill anybody. Dude, I heard somebody literally say that about that. They're like, Listen, are we being a little harsh on the murderers? I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you what to do with your life. I'm not trying to give you financial or legal advice. But when a couple of 13-year-old black girls try to steal your car, just fucking get out and let them take the car, okay? Just fucking, it's theirs. It's 2021. The car's theirs. <laughs> <laughs> Jai Hu's trip to the future. <laughs> For anybody who's still with us at 135, uh, I cannot wait for Jahu's trip to the fucking future on Zoobox oh, yeah. Goes to the Library. That's a preview. It's going to be probably our first ever Zoobox Goes to the Library. Dan Profit and I are going to do a full and thorough as as we can breakdown. So I'm sure lots of alcohol will be imbibed, some probably some drugs, and we're going to talk about Jahu's trip to the future. Look forward to that probably within the next like month or so. Um. But, but yeah, you know, but 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 just like the 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 wild abandon of this time period, and I'm I'm trying to think: is there like a western? Is there a movie that really got to 
like has really like expressed like the the darkness of that like the desperate nature like the desperate moment in in human civilization like like you could just be fucking too like a dumb kid drunk at a bar and somebody could shoot you because you fucking spilled something on them I mean, this I is think the, kind of the closest thing that's actually portrayed it is been Deadwood. Actually, yes, a... yeah, Deadwood is Deadwood is, is fantastic. If anybody hasn't seen it, uh, I actually the reason why we we waited so long to watch it was because they made the movie Deadwood, and I was like, I had always heard that it ends kind of nebulously because they didn't get to keep filming. Yeah, they thought they were going to have a fourth and fifth season. Yeah, and then but that didn't happen, and it actually didn't happen because of just dumb Hollywood bullshit. Just dumb creators. Hollywood bullshit. And uh, and then they made a movie to kind of re, not not recap. I mean, uh, kind of put a cap on at least some of the things, so we could see what happened. Like at least to some degree, they so they put out a movie. So it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll watch it now. Um, uh, mini review, insider review. The Deadwood movie is a fantastic capturing of one frantic night and the energy that can happen in a big group of people. In one night, and it's actually really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great show. It's a great that movie that end capper movie is great. I mean, come on, yeah, fucking like Timothy Oliphant. Uh, yes. Oh, what's his name? I'm I'm blanking on his name. He's, uh, I think he's Irish, isn't he? Uh, the guy who Swirgen, plays Jim Bar- cocksucker. Yeah, Swirgen, Swirgen. San Francisco Fuck. cocksucker. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's what my wife does. That's her impression. You want to watch? She want to watch Deadwood? Okay, cocksucker. Okay, Swearjin. That's a whole other fucking can of worms. But I think that's kind of by the end of my notes on on Deadwood is that you know, high aesthetic, incredible acting, attention to detail, even down to like when Morgan or uh, when Virgil makes his final decision to to uh, become a deputy again and or a US marshal again when he looks at that young boy who almost gets run over by the horse and another yet again another scene that takes a, a different tone when you're a parent yes. the young boy almost gets run over by the horse and he pulls him out of the way and gives him back to his mother who's clearly been slashed across her face probably because she worked in a brothel or some shit and, well, that's, uh, it, and it's it, also little, little details like that make the entire universe man yeah, the entire universe sings and it just works. And it, just because we didn't get to talk about it a lot, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott is like one of these guys that has like such like dignity as an actor. He is like yeah. the perfect Virgil. Like yeah. you, like when he his argument with Wyatt about becoming like becoming deputized, becoming the sheriff of the town is fantastic. It's a great scene between Paxton uh, Elliott and uh, Russell. Uh, when he's just like, he's like, it's not about you, Wyatt. It's about doing the right thing. Because Wyatt's like completely self-absorbed. Completely, why are you doing this to me, man? Why the f- We're trying to fucking make money. Like, don't do this to me. Right. And he's like, it's not about you. It's not about you. He's like, I'm trying to make fucking money off these people. I have to look them in the eye every day. And I know that I could be doing better for them. Right. You know? And it's, and it's, it's, it's like that, that reluctant hero energy that... Uh, this this Zubox goes to the movies completes a trilogy of Mad Max Zatoichi and the and the Earp brothers, of like scumbag energy that translates into being a hero because you have to be because you have just enough heart to see that these people fucking need you. Yeah, exactly. Like you can like you know one of the one of the uh, the benefits of living a colorful life is knowing better. 
is knowing better. Like, you know, I think, you know, I can speak for myself. Like, you know, I've definitely lived a colorful life for uh, a couple of years and uh, it taught me a lot. And I was, I was, unfortunately, I was put into circumstances where I was forced to learn from them mm. and forced to actually self-reflect and understand why being like that is not great, you know, and we're in also that it's not helpful and, it, and need <laughs> and needing, uh, needing like, uh, fuck, that just totally fucking fucked me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like you just like uh, I think like actually when you've had like a tough life or when you've had things go wrong or you've been wrong you've been a bad dude you've been bad you you've wronged people yeah. fucking don't let that like sink you into despair as an older person I know sometimes people take inventory of their lives they reflect like oh my god I've done so many bad things I've wronged so many people fucking learn from it and right. I think that's a great thing that actually this movie kind of embodies in a, in a certain sense. With these characters is it historically accurate in that sense no it's not it's very like movie-esque but they all they're bad men or they've lived kind of compromised lives but they have this moment where they can shine and like really pull together all this experience to understand why it's wrong and why they're good and why those guys are bad in a very like kind of simplistic sense mm. And uh, and I think that actually it speaks kind of volumes. You know, this is a great movie. I think if you have like a ten-year-old son, show them fucking Tombstone. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, Tombstone is a good fucking time, and you get to see like, and it's not too aggressive. Like like Dan said, like it passed the the Mormon sniff test. Like he could watch it in his house as a child, uncompromised, didn't have to hide it, didn't have to do whatever. Like it is a movie that actually has like a moral fabric ironically because of the hollywood hollywoodization of it and they're trying to sell it and try to have broad mass appeal but it is it has that there it has it there and uh well except for the josephine stuff just ignore that you tell your son you'd be like girls like josephine if a girl ever tells you (laughs) if some if some if some lady ever gets you and she's like yeah i like i want to travel like i want to travel saving my money to travel just fucking leave just leave just leave You'll be better off. You'll be better off. I just, I was working on my art project and I decided, like, I went down to my ex boyfriend's food truck and I, like, realized he was so successful and it made me so intimidated and I just needed to travel. Yeah, like, I really, I I really love you, but, like, there's something else out there. Like, I really, I think you're great. I think we could really have something great, but. I gotta go find myself. Like, so if you're know if here, you a final simp- breakup letter from Kylesi and Jahu, but it's it's basically yeah. that. <laughs> actually, I do think I heard. I do think I got there. Yes, because it actually happens but, pretty. But it early. just quadruple reaffirms his devotion to her. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, I think you've I think you've heard what we have to say about Tombstone. Tombstone is a classic. Is is it is it a perfect movie? No, it's not. And I hope someday. Apparently, uh, somebody just gave uh, a couple years ago gave Kurt Russell all of the footage they shot. So there is hope in the in the in a world where the Snyder cut exists. There is hope. I say <laughs> release the Russell cut of Tombstone. Give me that three hour epic. Give it to me because I know it's there. Because I can feel it. I can see it. I can see it in that last act. I see all the things that are cut. I see how they had to rearrange things. I can I can feel it inside of me because it's such. A perfect 
balance of action and character for 90 minutes and then just fucking loses the plot. There's definitely, there's like another hour of a movie that makes all that stuff work. Yeah. You know, cause like that, like it is like as, as much as a crowd pleasing, whatever it is, like it is kind of a character piece. It is a character piece. Like we get a lot of time to spend with these characters. We get to know these little weird idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasies and like these little nuances. One of my favorite things is like how they introduce how Bill Paxton's Morgan is like into spirituality and how that pays off on his deathbed. Which yes. is just a heartbreaking moment. Yeah. Just a heartbreaking moment. Ugh. And Paxton just delivers it perfectly. This naive, like young boy performance that he's giving. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I mean, I, the whole movie is just powerhouse performances, and it actually is a vehicle that's carried by the performances. 100%. 100%. And it, and it makes it, but it makes it worth it. Like, you would never, I don't, if anybody told me that they watched Tombstone and they were like, they felt like they completely wasted their time, that's no friend of mine. That's no goddamn friend of mine. I would stop being friends with you. I would not talk to you. I would not speak to you anymore. But you know what's crazy, Dan? I knew. Deep in my soul, I was like, Dan clearly watched this movie as much as I did growing up. Dan <laughs> clearly likes this movie. Uh, yeah, you knew it. Yeah, because Dan and I, I, I really want to find that movie that like I like and you don't, or vice versa. I really want to. I don't know if it's going to happen. I really <laughs> I well, don't. Well, I'm sorry to keep making this the Jahu's Trip to the Future episode, but you definitely are my necromancer Z. You are my doppelganger. I know. It's, it's kind of weird. And there's a lot of weird parallels throughout, like when we were, <laughs> we were teenagers as well. I know. Yeah. But... <laughs> but anyways, thank you so much for watching, everybody. Thank you so much, Dan, for being here. I appreciate you coming on, talking to me about everything Tombstone. Go check out Tombstone. It's on Amazon Prime for like four more days. Get to it. Um, if you'd like to know more about Zoobox, there's a bunch of links in the description. You know the spiel. Leave a comment. What did you think about Tombstone? What like did you grow up watching Tombstone? Is this a nostalgia piece for Prophet and I? Is this like is this we are we being blinded by a childhood just filled with Tombstone? I don't think so. But you tell me. You tell me differently, and I can tell you whether or not we can be friends. Anyways, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, and I will be happy to see you again on another wonderful edition of Zoo Box Goes to the Movies. Heyo!